Welcome to Rob's Reliability Project, a podcast for maintenance and reliability people to better themselves both at home and at work. Now let's get rolling. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Rob's Reliability Project. I'm Rob Kalvaroski. On this week's episode, I welcome Hal Frorich onto the show. Hal is a continuous improvement expert, and we discuss all things Toyota Kata, PDCA, and continuous improvement. There's definitely a lot of great stuff in this episode, and I really, really hope you enjoy it. If your company sells products or services to engaged maintenance and reliability professionals, definitely tell your marketing manager about Rob's Reliability Project. I have various advertising packages available, and definitely, if they're interested, tell them to reach out to me at Rob's Reliability Project at gmail.com or just hit me up on LinkedIn. Either one works. And obviously, you've already heard there's been a few sponsored episodes this year already in 2020, and I hope that continues. Lastly, if there are any topics, guests you'd like to hear from, questions you want answered on the show, or if you'd like to appear on the podcast, send me an email, robsreliabilityproject at gmail.com. As always, I really appreciate and thank you for listening. Now let's get into the interview with Hal Frorich. Hey guys, we are back. And today I have a special guest, Hal Frorich, straight out of Washington, a continuous improvement expert. Now, Hal, first off, how are you? I'm doing great. Awesome. So, Hal, you're right now you're the consultant for Impact Washington and you're an advisory board member for Operational Excellence Society. Now, before we get into the nuts and bolts of Toyota Kata, can you just walk us through how did you get your start in continuous improvement? Well, I I was working at Boeing and uh, Boeing started studying lean and and started sending executives over to uh, Japan on study missions. And I'd already been reading a lot of the books, but it kind of opened up the company to where new thoughts were coming in and they wanted to try out some of the stuff. And so I was able to uh, take TPM and and, uh, start playing with elements of it in, in, in a factory. And then from there, I uh, was asked to pilot it throughout Boeing commercial. So we picked five different areas and piloted it. And, and it went off so well that we ended up implementing the whole TPM suite, so to stay. And then from there, it, it the, you know, the punishment for doing something good is more punishment. Um, Boeing <clears throat> decided to start working on its supply base. And so I spent 17 years in the Boeing supply chain implementing TPM and lean also. And so I've spent, uh, oh, geez, probably about 30 years, uh, well, 25 years of it at, at uh, Boeing, just doing uh, TPM and lean. And then since I left Boeing, I've been, uh, uh, I ran a plant for five years uh, uh, that manufactured children's uh, orthotic braces, uh, which was all custom work. Uh, we built over 150,000 custom braces a, a year. And then also had uh, commodity products too. So we bought about 400,000 products a year we put out. And that's, and that's where I really started using Toyota Kata. And so uh, that's, that's what I think what we're mainly here to talk about. So uh, 
anybody that wants to reach out and talk about other stuff later on, more than happy to talk TPM or, or Toyota Kata or just regular good old lean. <laughs> yeah, we'll definitely have to have you back and maybe we'll get you and Calvin on at the same time. It would be pretty fun. Oh, that would be fun. <laughs> now, now before we get into it, like before we started, we were, we were just chatting before we jumped on here and you mentioned that every plant you go to, you find a 50000 to to $100,000 bucket. Do you want to just, just tell people kind of what that is and, and where they can start looking for those? Uh, every every plant's got a bucket. <laughs> so uh, we were talking about Donhab, and, it, and it's a, a, I was at their Perth plant, and uh, we were doing a, a autonomous maintenance. We were just starting to do it. And I always walk around the plant and, and, and really look it over, and you always find the one bucket or some type of a pan that's collecting hydraulic fluid or oil or something dripping. And so they'll collect it. It'll get to a certain level. And then somebody goes out and empties it in the hazardous waste disposal and gets new oil and pours it back into the machine. And when you take and you calculate out how much money it costs to replace it, the hazardous waste disposal, the time of the person, well, this bucket just happened to add up to 85000 and so I have found those in, in just about every every plant I've ever been at. It's normal. People walk by <laughs> it every day. They look at it. They stare at it. They don't think anything about it. And but but they live with these eighty five thousand dollar buckets living all over their plant. Yeah, I, I mean, I I've seen similar. I have never quantified the buckets themselves, but I mean, even stuff just like general housekeeping like that type of stuff. It's like when you walk around a plant, if you have your eyes open and your head up, you see a lot of things that people aren't doing well. Yeah. I mean, how many times do you walk by cavitation going down a pipe or you'll notice a a steam trap that's plugged up or something like that. They don't realize how much money it's costing just to, just to control a couple of utilities. And so, uh, that's it, 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 like I said, every plant I've been in, it, it's something I notice right away. And so if someone's out there and they're listening and they're kind of like looking for an introduction to like maybe finding that bucket or fixing that, like what would you say they should do? Just like go out and walk around or, or how do they identify those issues? Well, I, I think, you know, if you look at one of the tenets of, of Toyota production system, and, you know, Toyota is, is just somebody that took some of the lean stuff. A lot of it started in World War II. In fact, they've kind of tra- uh, tracked it all the way back to the Venetians in the 14th century doing lean manufacturing. But part of it is going out on the factory floor and looking around. And so one of the things in, in the Kaizen world that's changed quite a bit is in the old days, uh, you know, you had a Kaizen event. And, and generally you had like a, a lead promotion office or something like that. And uh, the lead promotion office would come in and say, well, wow, you haven't had a Kaizen event in a while. So don't worry about it. We got you on schedule for this week and uh, we'll, we'll help you prepare for it. We'll conduct the event and everything will be good. <laughs> and so they, they come in and they, they collect all the data. And then Monday morning, you know, they shut you down and everybody does Kaizen for the week. And then at the end of the week, they have the report out, and all of a sudden, the supervisor realizes he has a, a Kaizen newspaper with 90 action items on it that he's got to get taken <laughs> care of in a month or two. And so 
the whole thing that, that has changed in the lean world is where Toyota Kata is coming in. They're saying, look, you've got to get people, you've got to change habits. You have to, you have to look at how uh, people work and how managers manage, and it's changing more to a coaching role. And so that's where Toyota Kata has, has uh, changed my mind on a lot of things. And, and number two, uh, one of the things I learned, you know, working uh, uh, with Boeing is as we were working with our suppliers, we didn't have the money to go out and work our small suppliers. And, and people don't I, don't, I don't know if everybody kind of looks at a company and thinks, well, it's 100 to 200 to 300 people. Average company size is about 10 to 20 people. And they don't have the money and they don't have the time to shut down production for three days or five days in an area and do Kaizen. And so Toyota Kata is something you're doing every day. And it's, it's setting up, uh, looking at, at what the challenge is and then turning it over to the crew to go work on a set scientific pattern. Uh, and then going out and conducting experiments and finding out what they learn and what they know and they don't know, and then satisfying uh, getting rid of some obstacles so they can move forward again. And so usually uh, it's revolving around a cycle of a report out and uh, they report and there's a, a, a coaching uh, cycle that happens there. And then here's what we're gonna do in the next 24 hours. And so it's like, you know, the old uh, pay a penny and double it every day. And at the end of 30 days, you got 5 million bucks. It works along that same type of thing that every day they're doing some type of improvement, small improvement, which is what Kaizen is about. And so for a small business or a company that doesn't have the time to take equipment down for a week or longer, uh, Kata is a, a perfect remedy to a lot of these things. So maybe, I mean, you gave us a little bit of an introduction, but can you give us like maybe the, the steps of Kata or how does it work? Like what are some problems that people would use to, you know, tackle with Kata? Yeah. Um, I haven't found anything that limits what, what you can work on as far as in the, in the Kata realm. And so generally it's, it's, and I hate, you know, saying, well, you've got this board, but you have this board. And so on it, you know, it's got a header that says, here's the process we're working on. And then here's the challenge. And so the challenge, and, and let's put this into uh, something practical everybody can understand. Those of you that are doing, say, autonomous maintenance. And you want to do autonomous maintenance, but not do it in the, in the old-fashioned way of shutting the equipment down for three to five days and going through uh, the seven or eight steps that you use to go through it. Let's say you're a small company and you've only got a, you know, a half hour a day to go work on something. And so the challenge might be design a process that uh, anybody can power up or power down the machine and render it safe. Okay. So then that team is going to go look at there and say, okay, what's our current condition? So they may look over uh, all the processes that they have right now. If they even have written ones, I've been in a lot of factories that there's there's no process for starting a stopping machine or even locking it out. And and they may say, well, gee, will this work for somebody that doesn't know the machine? 
or somebody that's in maintenance. So they might go grab an office worker and they take a look and say, no, it doesn't work. But they collect a lot of what the current condition is. And then they look at, uh, you know, what's the target need to be? Well, obviously it's anybody can, can walk up to the machine and shut it off. So what are the obstacles that are keeping us from doing that? And so from those, they're going to pick one of the obstacles to work and then go to what we call the PDCA cycle, which is, uh, you know, what's their hypothesis? What do they think they've got to do to remove this obstacle? What do they expect to see? And then, you know, go through a coaching cycle that the coach is saying, okay, sounds like a good feasible plan. Now go out and do it. And when can I see the results? And so they'll go out, they'll, they'll work on this obstacle. They'll try some of their countermeasures out. And then they're going to see, well, what did we learn? Did this take care of the problem? Yes or no. And then from there, uh, you know, they're coming back for the, the next report out. And they're saying, well, yes, either we took care of the problem and here's what our results were, our findings, and here's what we learned, or they didn't. And so they're saying, well, we didn't quite hit the target there. So we're going to try this next. And here's what we expect to see. And here's what we expect to learn. And then go through another cycle. So instead of the the typical, uh, you know, you hear plan, do, check, act. A lot of times what, what happens uh, is a plan, discuss, complicate, abandon. And that, that's usually how PCA cycles work. And so uh, in a nutshell, you know, it is this constant loop of, uh, you know, challenge, current condition, target condition, what's your experiment, and then, and then what were the results. And so it gives a team a chance, and it's really about learning. And that really switches it up for the supervisors, too, because most supervisors and managers have a tendency to think in solutions. And so that's what they'll say. Well, go do this. Well, how do they know that's the right thing to do? Uh, you know, so they they get an, uh, a chance to also learn a lot more deeply what they're managing and what they're supervising. I guess for me, like you mentioned that there's some drawbacks to PDCA, but you're also using it in Kata. Like, where are those drawbacks coming from? I, I think it's, your number one, a lot of people don't think scientifically. And so what Kata starts to really dive into is teaching them a pattern of behavior, thought, and experimenting that they, you can almost see the transition with people. Uh, in my own plants, you know, after about 20 or 30 days, people actually start talking this way. If you walk up and, and ask them, well, what's going on? They'll say, well, our current condition is this. We're producing this. We've got these issues. Uh, here's, here's where we need to be. Here's our target condition. And so we're going to try this. And then boom. And so teaching this pattern of, of troubleshooting, of improving, and things like that actually changes culture. And it also engages the employees. Uh, uh, the one thing I, I really, it was interesting with me, because if you read the Gallup polls, they say only about 30% of the workforce is engaged in their work at all. Most of them just kind of check in and check out, and that's it. I found with uh, using Kata, where everybody's contributing every day, it brings a whole new level of engagement with them. They're actually excited about being there. Yeah, I, c I can imagine that just having that problem solving atmosphere and like a team atmosphere, it's probably pretty, pretty engaging. 
It is. And, and the thing is, they, you know, that since they can see the improvements every day and they're living with them and, you know, how one improvement can lead, uh, open up a, a dam to other uh, improvements, uh, they, a lot of times you have to almost rein them in because they'll just go crazy. They like this. <laughs> and so, you know, it takes people out of the troubleshooting uh, more into kind of like you call the scientific striving, you know, a step-by-step process, uh, you know, focused on a target condition, not, not a shotgun approach, one target condition. And, and so you've got, you know, five, six, seven people on a team. Imagine that much brain power focused on just one issue and not trying to solve for 30 or 40. Absolutely. And I guess for people out there, like, where should they start? Like if they're listening and they're like, this sounds like a, it's a, it's a right program for my site. Like how do they go about implementing a Kata program? Well, the nice thing is Mike Rother, who's the, the author and uh, the one that's put all the pick and shovel work into uh, putting this together has a website through the university of Michigan and he has made the entire uh, course and other things available for download um, on the website. And then from there, uh, like I said, it, it's a big community. And so uh, uh, there's people publishing stuff all over the place. And so the internet's full of stuff. And then we have the Katacon coming up in Austin um, let me think. I got to look at the dates myself. It's in February. Um, well, you might have to just dial in Katakon, but I think it's the 15th through our uh, February 15th, 16th and 17th. Somehow that, that resonates with me, but I don't know if that's the exact date. And, but that's kind of a meetup once a year and it's everything caught up for two or three days. And so newbies, you know, people mid stride and learning it. And then, uh, old timers, uh, get together. And, uh, a lot of it is, is, is hands-on learning stuff. It's not just sit there and listen to, uh, lectures. There's a lot of people I know, like, uh, uh, my counter, my Canadian counterpart, Tracy Defoe out of uh, Vancouver and I are going to be, uh, presenting a, a table discussion on Kata and secret. And it's kind of interesting. We were wondering why Kata wasn't mainstreaming as fast as other things. And and what we found was that uh, legacy companies uh, and consulting companies and everybody else, they've already tooled up to teach lean their way. And, and the other thing is a lot of companies uh, have lean promotion offices with the bureaucracies that go behind it. Well, Kata kind of, you don't need it because it's a line i it's a line owned process so the line just needs to manage it and do it themselves and so it takes away that bureaucracy and all of a sudden people look at it and say well my job's going away what do i do and so a lot of them don't want to embrace it so we're having a a discussion on that and uh but if you uh go to the website you can download everything if you've got time in february there's a, a katakon there uh for your european listeners uh there's a uh, Katakons over in Europe, and uh, there's uh, 
I don't know if they've got one in Asia yet or not, but uh, it's a great way to, to go find out some more stuff. <laughs> I, guess, I guess you sort of mentioned it, but the, like one of the powers of Kata is you don't actually need a like a continuous improvement specialist. Like, I, I mean, the majority of my listeners are going to be maintenance and reliability folk and their, you know, their core function is going to be doing a lot of reliability engineering. So like you, you're kind of mentioning it, but you don't actually have to have a continuous improvement guy to go out and do this. You can sort of let the empower the teams themselves. No. Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing is learning how to coach. I know everybody thinks, oh, well, I've coached Little League or I've coached this or, you know, something like that. But this is a, there's some training required for learning how to coach this. And so it's not like you need uh, weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks of a consultant on site. You know, a lot of times I'll work with a group for a week and then just remote coach, you know, and it's generally during their report outs listening to their report outs and then giving the coach feedback on how well they coach. And so that doesn't go on forever ever either. So the nice thing is the cost of doing this is a lot, uh, a lot cheaper, so to speak, than the normal type of Kaizen thing, because you can remote coach. I mean, it's like on every Friday we have a, we have kind of a Cascadia, which would be British Columbia Washington and Oregon of a, a Kata Dojo uh, meetup. And it's just, you know, however many people get on the phone call and we're discussing uh, Kata and people are are uh, giving us problems or things that they may have hit or they want to practice stuff. And we get together on the phone and, and do it. We're out on a Zoom thing, actually. And so, again, no one's paying any money there. But it is, like I said, it's a community that wants to help each other out. So that's that's kind of how it goes. Cool, really cool. Now, I guess I wanted to ask you a little bit about autonomous maintenance. Like you mentioned in one of our previous discussions that you have implemented autonomous maintenance as part of a Kata initiative. Like how did that come up? And maybe maybe walk people through what autonomous maintenance is before we jump into that. Okay, so I... You know, that's the interesting thing, because I would have thought that in the maintenance and reliability world, TPM would be everywhere. And what I found, no, it's not. It's still not. <laughs> you know, after, after what, 50 years of TPM being out there, it's still not implemented. So autonomous maintenance is the self-directed maintenance. So it's an operator who's really the front line. They run their machine. And in some cases... And in some plants, maintenance is actually is the machine operator, but they know what's going on day to day. And so autonomous maintenance is getting a schedule of things that that happen daily to the equipment. I mean, it could be something as simple as checking the lubrication levels, critical cleaning, uh, using OEE to measure its output. Uh, you know, if they want to dive deeper into it, they... They could certainly dive uh, deeper into it, but there's about five or six things that you uh, look at in, in TPM. Autonomous maintenance is kind of step one. Uh, step two is is uh, uh, getting into OEE, which is the the measure, and then uh, 
and that's what they'll, they'll also hear OEE is called the attack the six big losses. And then you have advanced maintenance on it, which is kind of the day-to-day uh, maintenance. Because if you look at where reliability engineering came into effect, is in the old days, you did intrusive PMs, right? Shut the equipment down, you rip it all apart, look for bad stuff, put it back together. Well, if you put that in our terms, it'd be like you and me going in for our annual physical. Doctor lays you out on the table, takes a scalpel out, cuts you from stem to stern, pops you open and says, okay, everything looks good in here. Stitches you back up and says, you're free, see you next year. That would probably be your, your one and only annual checkup you ever had. And so what changed in the, in the maintenance world was going to that reliability. When you go to see a doctor, you know, they're poking a thermometer in your mouth, making sure your temperature is good, listening to your pump, checking the pressure out of the pump. And then if they find anything else, they may go to a more advanced instrumentation to uh, look at something like an EKG or a CAT scan or something like that. And so that's where the reliability portion has gone in that. And then you have early equipment management. So this is the startup of equipment and how you purchase it. Uh, there's a whole process around there and then training and education. And that's the, you know, the continued uh, uh, making the people smarter and smarter about what they do. And so Kata fits into any one of these things. In my plant, it was, uh, it, it was that we were, I, I don't know what the employment situation is up in uh, Canada, but in the United States, uh, trying to find an employee right now, the uh, unemployment rate is so low that you're having to take a lot of people off the street and then teach them a job and uh, turn them loose. And so when I arrived at the plant, TPM was not anything that they did. Yeah, I'm pulling in brand new people. Now, we did use... TWI to train people. I don't know if you're familiar with training within industry, um, but there wasn't any of this of the background uh, documentation and visual management and visual controls you need to uh, take somebody up to snuff to know like what's the first ten minutes of the morning. Here's the things you need to do around maintenance on the equipment to make sure it runs all right every day, and so that's why we used Kata. With the, uh, with the autonomous maintenance element of it because it gave us a chance to, uh, you know, every day make some progress on it, train the new operators in the care and feeding of their equipment, and then also to, uh, we didn't want reactive maintenance. We didn't want breakdowns. And so that's, that's what kind of pushed was that. Awesome. Awesome. Really cool. Now, for people out there maybe who are looking to implement Kata or they have a program already, what are some of the common mistakes that companies make with respect to a Kata program? Generally, it is not taking your time implementing it. When I talk about the coaching, um, and and we hear this a lot from uh, people that have just, say, downloaded the um, the uh, course package and trying it out they don't really have anybody um, you know because they're doing it on their own they don't have anybody to ping it off of 
like, okay, I'm going to run a report out. How should I do that? Well, there's a card and that's where the kata comes in is because a kata, like in the martial arts thing, you're learning various movements and positions and things like that. And so there's a card that until you master the actual kata is what you use. And so people will try to ignore asking questions in a, in a set pattern. And they're there for a reason. It keeps it, it is training you and the team in in a pattern of behavior and a pattern of how you transition around this board. And then the coach has got to have very excellent listening skills. And then you've got to ask Socratic questions because remember you're not thinking in solutions. Okay, you're thinking in what everybody's learning. Mm-hmm. So to push that learning, it means you're asking very smart questions. And so if you don't get into that mindset that this is not the old way of managing, that's usually the trap that I find people to fall into. And that's the, the manager themselves or that's the person leading the exercise? Well, there's three, there's several levels. I mean, if you, if you implement Kata in a company, you can have the C-suite people with their own Kata boards because they may be taking a, a Hoshin plan or something like that and putting out, here's this year's strategy and things that we're going to do. And that's a board between them and the, and the mid-level managers. And the mid-level managers may be interpreting what that needs to happen on the, on the production floor or out in the plant. And so they're going to be pushing their stuff that they need down to those people. And so it, it goes up and down. So it could be any level of management. I mean, I've had leads running Kata teams. I've had supervisors. I've had managers. Uh, and, and so you've got to give equal attention to each group on how they ask questions and how they, uh, how they work with the teams. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, Hal, one of the last questions, my favorite one, uh, what are your top tips for people who are out there practicing Kata? Well, I'm, I am, what it's taught me is don't be afraid to experiment. And so I would, I would suggest to everybody download the, download the, uh, the course and download the, uh, the, uh, thinking behind it and the experimenting behind it. I think when you see it, you'll go, well, this makes perfect sense. Don't be afraid to try it. I mean, you could take and just get one team going. And don't worry about expanding it. Just learn everything you can from that one team. And if you need help, hey, give me a shout out. I, I don't have any problem helping people over the phone. Um, but if you don't try it, you'll never know. You won't learn anything. And so that's <laughs> mainly what Kata is about is learning. And believe me, it is, a, it is a fundamental change to the way you do business. And I have not hit anything that this doesn't apply to. I mean, one of the things you'll see is Kata in the classroom. We're actually teaching this to grade schools and high schools, which is a whole nother talk. But I mean, teachers are eating this up. And this is in every industry. I mean, I I just went out and did a quick sampling and I see there's a aluminum plant using it. Uh, the medical establishment is just chewing this up. I mean, they, they can't seem to implement it fast enough. So when you start looking at this on the internet, you'll see it's it's in every business, it's in offices, it's in software, it's it's everywhere. 
And so uh, don't be afraid to try it. Love it. Love it. I, I mean, in the classroom, that's really cool for the kids. I, like I really find, I mean, in my own life, like a lot of the stuff I learned, you know, in elementary school, even high school, even college, like it's not entirely useful to me in my career right now. And so anything that would have been down this road would have been really nice. <laughs> well, and, and, and like I said, it it isn't about tools. You know, in the old days, that's and that's why everybody learned it is that everything was tools in the in the lean world. It wasn't really revolving around people. And I think what a lot of people miss is that Kaizen is about human improvement. Okay, and so that's what this is mainly focused on is the human mind, the human habits and the culture more than just going out and implementing a tool. And so, it, you know, when you talk about, if you take some of the, the old lean stuff from single minute exchange of dyes or Kanban systems or something like that, those are pretty nuts and bolts. But how you get it done and the thinking that goes behind it, that should be pushed by Kata. I've had groups that have gone out and implemented stuff, never realized that they were even doing a lean thing. It's stuff that they came up with. If you walked in, an outsider, a lean person walked in and said, well, geez, they're doing this or that. Well, they don't know that. They just, this is what their their uh, problem solving led them to. And so, again, it, it it's a totally different way of thinking, but with a lot better results. Love it, love it, love it. Now, how we kind of mentioned it, you kind of talked a lot about the people focus, but I want to ask you, you know, with all this technology that's coming and like this change that we've seen, augmented reality, virtual reality, digital twins, all this stuff, where do you see the future of continuous improvement going? Well, I, you know, I think uh, I've seen some of it. I've, I'm seeing a lot in the, uh, what do they call them? The co-robots. Because one of the companies that we work with uh, at Impact Washington um, they're making uh, robots that work side by side with humans. I mean, even the fact that they can, they can, uh, if you bump each other, they know when to recognize a bump. <laughs> okay. And, but they're, but they're assisting humans. And if you look at, uh, you know, the old, the old judoka, uh, which is a Toyota term for automation with the human touch. I think with all the new stuff that's coming out, it's going to be very small incremental things that, that go along very much in the, in the format of, of Kata, you know? And so I don't see major, you know, somebody's going to invent something that's going to replace humans. I, I just don't see it. Now there'd be some jobs. Yeah, I do. But uh, in the plant maintenance realm or production realm, most robots and AI and stuff like that, it's it's not there right now that it's going to replace anything in humans. So I think a lot of it's going to be increments of stuff that augments what humans do. At least that's it. from my little notch right now. And, and who knows? I mean, technology moves at such a fast pace. What I say now could be obsolete tomorrow. <laughs> it's okay. always yeah it's always impossible to predict the future but i just love li listening to what people think 
Well, and that, and you know, and I grew up with this stuff, and so you know, the first robots, mainly everybody was. Well, you remember Saturn? Okay, Saturn car. That was supposed to be a plant full of robots building cars. Well, then once they they looked at it and they said, no, it's not going to be that. They went back to traditional stuff where the robot was used, where you didn't want people exposed to hazardous things, or you, or you or you want or for safety reasons they wanted it and and things like that. The same reason robots, uh, you know, have uh, only been used in those areas. But yeah, you look at Toyota and you go out at them. They're using kinetic energy, okay, and 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 building machines that simple pushes of stuff can distribute parts. So there's no robot involved. It was just people using their ingenuity and basic physics to do things. And so if you haven't seen some of these things that uh, Toyota's experimenting with now, and it's become a huge movement over in Asia, well worthwhile looking. I mean, this is low cost, no cost stuff. I'll have to take a look. I haven't, I haven't seen too much out, but you know. Oh, I'll I'll send you some links. Love it. Uh, yeah, and I'll I'll post those in the podcast notes. So if you're listening to this and you're looking for those, I'll definitely put them in there. Now, how do you have anything to plug? Like, obviously, if people are listening to this and they want to reach out to you, your LinkedIn profile. I'll put I'll put it in the podcast notes, or if they came through LinkedIn, you'll be tagged in the post. Um, are you going to be at any conferences? Do you have a website? Should anyone check you out anywhere else? Um, I'll be at the Katacon in Austin, Texas. And as I said, Tracy Defoe and I are going to be doing a Kata in secret table discussion. And uh, that's about all I've got scheduled right now as far as the outside. I don't have a website. Uh, I probably should, but that's, that's a whole <laughs> the whole area that uh the maintenance that goes into it so you know like right now i i spend part of my time uh, consulting with impact washington the rest of the time it's uh, private clients and so the best way to i kind of consider linkedin my my website and i don't do a lot of publishing uh, but uh you know enjoy doing podcasts with people and like i said if we want to get further into reliability engineering we can always do another Another one. This was a, a very, very light touching of what Kata is. Yeah. No, absolutely. Like I I just wanted to kind of intro the topic today. It's it's sorta of new for me as well. And and I'm looking forward. We'll have you back on and what maybe we'll chop chop shop. Maybe we'll get Calvin on too. That'd be fun. Well, and I'll send you the LinkedIn uh, or the uh, University of Michigan link that you can also uh, put out there that people can go take a look at it. And there's a lot of books that have been published now that are on Amazon. Perfect. Yeah. So if you're looking for any of that stuff, I will put it in the podcast notes. I'll also put obviously Hal's contact info, well, his LinkedIn profile in the podcast notes. If you have any questions about Kata or continuous improvement, you can hit him up. Yep. Now, Hal, thanks. Thanks for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, Everybody uh, have a nice, prosperous, successful new year. If I remember right, this is your first podcast of the year. <laughs> yeah, you're you're the first recording this year. That's for sure. <laughs> but the challenge is, okay, what are you going to know at the end of the year that you didn't know at the beginning of the year? So what are you going to go out and learn? So here's your first <laughs> challenge is go out and learn everything there is about Toyota Kata. 
That's a good challenge, and we started off the year well then. <laughs> All right. Awesome. So everyone who's still listening, I really appreciate you listening and spending your time with us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you all next week.